All right, so today's sermon is about fasting, uh, a true fast, a real fast, and our series in, uh, called Words from the Mountain, we've been walking through, we've been following Jesus around this mountain, and the section where we currently find ourselves is about an authentic faith. Jesus is really pressing in on us to have an authentic faith, and, and, and what he's done, well... Let me say this first. I've talked with a lot of people who have written off the church, who have written off Christianity, or dismissed Christianity, and one of the primary things I'm always hearing from people who are telling me this is that Christians are hypocrites. And Jesus has taken us to this section of the mountain where he's talking about having an authentic faith. And here's what I think we need to do. I think we need to own up to the reality that we are hypocrites. In fact, to be Christian in one sense is to be a hypocrite because you are saying, I am now this new creation who is meant to live this way, yet I'm not yet living this way, but I'm pressing forward to live this way. And so I am not yet who I am made to be, therefore in one sense I'm a hypocrite, but I'm pressing on. And so the best way to not be a hypocrite anymore is to call yourself a hypocrite, and then you're just being honest. So now you are no longer a hypocrite. And, and what, what we are finding ourselves in, in this section of Words from the Mountain, is Jesus talking about authentic faith, and he's giving us three practices. First practice is almsgiving, or just giving, being generous. Second is prayer, and we spent about seven weeks in prayer. Third is fasting, where we are today. And if you will adopt these three practices with a pure heart, I believe what ends up happening is you become more authentic in your faith and you become less hypocritical because you're willing to say, man, look, look at me, I am a hypocrite. However, I'm living in day by day more and more into who I'm made to be. And today we're looking at fasting. So here's what we're going to do. We've got five points today. First point, what is fasting? Second, the purpose of fasting. Third, the wrong way to fast. Fourth, the right way to fast. And then fifth, the reward when you fast. So let me read our verses. Matthew 6, 16 through 18. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. All right, first of all, this verse makes it clear that Jesus is just assuming that you are going to fast. He says, when you fast. So he's assuming that you're going to fast. So then the question is, what is fasting? Well, generally speaking, fasting is not eating for a period of time. And when you look at the Bible, you see a range of time where fasts happen. So usually you'll see a 24-hour fast, but sometimes the fasts are three days, seven days, and they go all the way up to 40-day fasts. Now, I don't want to get a call from you in the hospital because you heard what I said today and you started your 40-day fast and you're on day 40 and you collapse and you call me from the hospital and like, David, you got to come because I think I might be like, it's the end for me. 
Um, I don't want you to do that. If you're going to fast for 40 days, you should probably do a little bit of research about it um, and check into what you're about to do. But Jesus is assuming that you are going to fast. So if you're going to fast, when should you do it? Is there a time in the year where fasting should happen? Well, if you look in the Bible, in the Old Testament, there's only one really time where there's an annual fast, and it's called the Day of Atonement. However, the Day of Atonement in the Old Testament has ceased because Christ has come as the greater, the one who has accomplished everything that needs to happen. Essentially, your sins have been atoned for, so the Day of Atonement has ceased, and now we're celebrating Christ. That's Hebrews 10.10. So there is no regular time in the year to fast, but... When we approach the New Testament, we arrive at seeing these religious leaders who are fasting two times a week. Jesus actually doesn't have a problem with their fast, but he doesn't seem to say we should adopt fasting twice a week. Jesus' concern is how you are fasting. What's the reason behind it? What are your motives behind it? And this brings us to why you should fast. So fasting has become a bit of a bit of a forgotten practice. And I think the reason is because we don't really understand the purpose behind fasting. And then to further our problem is the purpose of fasting isn't explained in our text. And when you read throughout the Bible, the purpose of fasting isn't really talked about, though it's maybe hinted at. So here's a few things you find. So when you read through, for example, you read through the Old Testament, here's what you'll find. Fasting usually goes along with confession of sin. There are fasts that are done for special purposes. So five times that I know of, there are individuals fasting in the Bible for specific, special reason. There are also five times where a nation is fasting for a special purpose or a reason. Sometimes fasting was associated with having a revelation from God. Sometimes fasting is done when people feel in danger, when they are grieving, or for God to answer a prayer. But what is so fascinating is that Jesus actually never fasts with his disciples. Jesus fasts, but with his disciples, he never fasts, and they aren't ever fasting with him. And what I'd like to argue is that if you want to know the purpose of fasting, you have to understand why the disciples do not fast when they are with Jesus. Let me read to you. This is Matthew 9, 14 and 15. If you want to know the purpose, you've got to understand these verses. Then the disciples of John, this is John the Baptist, came to him, Jesus, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And then Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The day will come when the bridegroom is gone and taken away from them, and then they will fast. Now, how does that reveal the purpose of fasting? Well, there's a reason why you fast. When you fast, it's because your soul is hungering for something it does not have. And that hunger is for Christ the King and for his kingdom to come. So the disciples are with Jesus So they have no reason to fast. But that's why he says, but when I leave, they will fast. Because they have come to the realization that fasting is understood as a physical expression of the deep 
rumblings in your soul for Christ and his kingdom to come fully. See, when we are reunited fully again with Christ, do you know what happens? Every ounce, every bit of you is finally reaching the satisfaction that you've been longing for, and his kingdom will have come, which means all things will be made right. There will be no more hurting, death, or pain. And God understands that your soul is hungering for that day, so he gives you this gift of fasting as a way to express the deep longings of your soul. You are longing spiritually, and you are missing something emotionally, and so God says fast. So when you are angry, you yell. When you are terrified, you scream. And when you're sad, you weep. Fasting is the expression of your soul's weeping, your soul's terror, and your soul's anger for things not being the way that they should be. So fasting, when your soul's angry, you hurt. You see broken things in this world, and you hurt. And so fasting is a way for you to express that frustration and that yelling. Fasting is like an exclamation point at the end of your prayer. So in the movie Braveheart, William Wallace is captured, he is tortured, and then he is killed. And in the midst of his torture, he cries out in pain, freedom. Your soul, fasting is your soul's way of screaming out the pain that you are experiencing in this world. It's a way to express it. Because when William Wallace screams out, he's screaming out freedom because him and his people are in a prison that they can't get out of. And that's what life in this world feels like at times. And so when you feel that, Jesus says, fast. To express what's happening deep within your soul. So prayer and fasting are meant to go together, by the way. And fasting is a way to add different notes to your prayer. And so you think about regular music, it has major scales and minor scales, but then you have jazz music and you have blues music. And so fasting is a way to add, to jazz up and to blues up your prayer life. And here's what I'm saying. When your child is sick, fasting is a way to express your hunger for Christ to come and make all things right. When your marriage is broken, fasting is a way for you to cry out to your spouse, the bridegroom, Christ, who will one day be everything that you long for and need. I want you to understand something about yourself and more specifically your soul. This world is not your home. And your soul knows it more than anything else. So you keep trying to feed your soul with the stuff of this world like success or sex or money or power or this beautiful, comfortable little life or the perfect spouse or the perfect family or you're, you're terrified of settling down with your family so you're ready to get out of there and run because you want freedom or you're just feeding your soul with 
anything you can get your hands on to somehow satisfy it, yet your soul remains starving. Because you aren't feeding your soul the thing it longs for most. God. You long for the great banquet of the marriage supper of Christ and us. And until that day, you will long. But you can, you, you can feed your soul now with something. God's word. And while it quenches your hunger or satisfies your hunger, at the same time, God's word makes you starving. It's a really strange thing that happens. So you open up the Bible and you begin reading the Bible and somehow the Bible begins to satisfy the longings of your soul, yet at the same time it makes your soul more hungry for the king and his kingdom to come. And you've probably experienced this before. It's lunchtime, let's say, and you don't feel very hungry. But then someone's like, well, you need to eat. It's lunchtime. You're like, all right, fine. I'll take a bite. And you take a bite. And all of a sudden, you find that your lunch is completely gone and you're still hungry. This is what God's word does to you. You don't feel like you're hungry. You don't think you're hungry. But then you start reading it. And all of a sudden, a craving is awakened in you. And that craving is God and his word. And here's what happens. When you start having those cravings satisfied, when God's word feeds you, you actually begin to enjoy the things of this world more because you're enjoying them in, your proper, in its proper place. See, because here's what happens. You're feeding your soul pennies. You're thinking the pennies are going to make you happy, that they're going to make you rich, and here's what's going on. You need God's word to feed, to be Put deep in your soul, and when that happens, you are feasting on the riches of God's word to you, and then everything else get, gets put in its proper place. So, fasting teaches you to hunger for the right things in their proper place. And fasting is a way to express your spiritual hunger for God and His kingdom. Now, that's the primary purpose. That's what I would argue is the is the umbrella over which the purpose of fasting is. Now, there's a secondary umbrella, you might say, and here's the secondary umbrella. It is a way for you to return back to God. So you fast, and it does a few things. First, it exposes your sin, because you get hangry. And second, it drives you right back to God. So when you're physically hungry, you're weak. You aren't as good, I mean, you know this when you're hungry. You get physically weak, but also you get emotionally weak. And here's what happens your spiritual reality gets uncovered. The stuff that's really going on in your heart, the sin in your heart gets exposed, and it's the sin gets hungry and it wants to show itself like a worm coming out of your heart, starving. And so, starve yourself and your sin will crawl out and show itself like a hungry worm. So when you do, when you hear someone say that they're hangry, there's really no such thing. I mean, there is such thing as hangry, but here's what's really going on. You're already mad, and you're hungry at the same time. And your 
starving yourself exposes the sin that's already there. So your fasting will expose your anger, your lack of patience, your lack of respect for others, and your lack of love. And when what's in your heart gets exposed, you have to do something that the Bible tells you to do, and it is to repent. That word gets a really bad rap. It's a beautiful word. Repentance is a beautiful word because here's what it means. You've seen your sin, and you say, look at me. What do I do with this? And you say, well, God is gracious, and so you turn towards God. Now look at what happens. As soon as you turn to God for grace, you've just left your sin behind. You're doing a 180. You're turning in a different direction. But it happened because your sin got exposed because you were fasting. So now you find yourself turning to God. Because here's the thing about your sin. Your sin is an attempt to feed your heart something you think it wants, but it doesn't. Actually, a better way for me to say it is that your heart doesn't really know what it wants. There's a verse in Jeremiah that says the heart is desperately sick who can understand it? Your heart is telling you it wants things that it doesn't really want, but it thinks it wants. Your heart is wrong. I want you to hear this because many of you don't believe it. The Bible knows what your heart wants and needs way more than your heart does. So you come to a place where you're either going to trust your heart, which is deceitful, or you trust the Bible. So fasting is a way to expose what's going on in your heart, to expose that you do have a deceitful heart. And fasting also brings you to your greatest love, God. All right, so now that you know the purpose of fasting, let's talk about the wrong way to fast. And this is actually the point of our text. We haven't actually gotten to the point of our text until right now. So Jesus is sick and tired of hypocrites doing the right things with completely wrong motives. So apparently during this time when people fasted, they made sure everybody knew about it. How? They made their face all dirty and their head was all smelly. So, here, here, verse 17, Jesus says, wash your face and anoint your head with oil. So people didn't shower as much back then. So this is a regular thing people did where they washed their face and they would put oil in their hair so they'd smell nice. Well, apparently it became cool when you were fasting to be dirty and smelly. So that someone walks by you and they're dirty and smelly. You say, oh, they're fasting. Cool, good for them. Now, you could say, that they did this for people to see them, but actually what happens is it's exposing their dirty and smelly heart. Now you get this picture of somebody moseying around. They're tired, they're hungry, they're hangry. People see them and they say, whoa, you must be hungry. So they offer them some bread. And so the person that gets offered the bread that's fasting looks around, makes sure everyone sees them and says, oh, Thank you for this offer of this nice-looking, nice-tasting morsel of bread. I would love to have this piece of bread, but I'm fasting. And because I'm fasting, I cannot take this bread. So, I won't take this bread because I'm fasting. 
And then they stand up on the table, everybody sees them, they take a bow and everybody cheers and applauds for them. And this is what they're after. This is what they want. And they do it in a sneaky way, of course. They wouldn't do it that way. But in such a way that they appear humble while wanting the praise of others. Now, this is what is meant by the word hypocrite. For the Greeks, they had plays. And when they put on a play, somebody, the actor, would wear many masks so there wasn't enough people to go around to play different parts. Well, what Jesus is saying is a hypocrite is someone who pretends to be holy but does it for very unholy reasons to get the praise of others. Now, you guys never do that, right? You would never appear holy for the sake of praise of others. And when you're generous, you keep it a complete secret. Come on, you know that feeling. You've done something great. You want people to know, but you don't want them to know that you want them to know, and so you just kind of hint around at it, hint around at what you've been doing, and, and somehow, some way, they, oh, oh, are you fasting? Oh, I am fasting, as a matter of fact. How did you notice? I'm not supposed to tell anybody, but thanks for noticing. See, we want the praise of others, something about us. We're craving it. And so our hearts say, feed me with the praise of others, and I'll be satisfied. But it doesn't work. And I'll prove this to you that this happens. So a lot of times you'll see churches or organizations ask people to give money, but then they say, but wait, we'll put your name on a building. And then everyone's like, oh, take my money. You, you see this in uh, hospitals. My guess, so when you walk into a hospital, there's these levels of giving, like you have bronze, silver, gold, and platinum. And depending on how much you give is depending on where your name is on that plaque. Now, my guess is this. If, if a hospital said, hey, we're going to make all donors anonymous, that they would probably end up going broke because people want the praise. And so you offer them a plaque where people can see their name and what they gave. They're throwing money around at it. Your soul will continue to groan if you keep trying to feed it with the praise of others. It's not the sole food that you long for. Again, you look, go to God's word. It's going to give you a new kind of craving. It's going to satisfy your hunger yet give you a new craving at the same time. So this brings us to the right way to fast. Do it in secret. You should fast. And when you fast, don't anybody know that you are fasting. Unless you're doing it with a group of people. Let the group of people know that you're fasting, but nobody outside of the group of people. Now, clearly there is a way to let people know that you're fasting that isn't wrong or sinful, because we read in the Bible people are fasting. So in the New Testament, when we read people are fasting, we know that they're fasting because somebody told someone that they're fasting. But generally speaking, when you fast, don't tell anyone about it. Keep your mouth shut like you're not eating food, and keep your mouth shut. Don't tell people that you're fasting. So recently, um, my family received a gift in the mail, and it was beautiful the way that it was done, because in the envelope... On the top left, it said the name of my family. And then where it goes to also had the name of my family, which means I don't know who sent it. They did it in secret. They did it anonymously. And it's a beautiful thing, and God will reward them because they did it in secret. 
and we get blessed, they're rewarded. It's a beautiful thing. So, when you fast, don't tell people about it. Don't look starving. Put on your lipstick or your makeup or comb your hair, whatever it is that you do. You know, there's a thing called peacocking, where people like dress in this elaborate way, in this wild way, so they'll get noticed. Well, there's a religious peacocking, where you make sure everybody knows how holy you are. So don't peacock your fasting. Be secret about it. And if there's a main thing for you to take away from today, this is pretty memorable, you just remember, don't peacock your fasting. Now, the temptation to get praise from others is alluring, and it's very strong, and it's very seductive. So how do you fight this? You fight it by focusing in on the reward that comes when you fast in secret. So God is dangling a carrot in front of you because he knows that it's seductive for you to want the praise of others, so he puts a carrot out and dangles it. Do you know what the carrot is that he's dangling before you? Himself. He will give you more of himself. He will give you more of knowing him, more experiencing him, more of a changed heart in him. Now, So your reward becomes one of two things. Because Jesus is telling you, if you want the praise of others, it is a reward that you get in this life. But it's not good. But it's the reward that you're going to get. Or you get God and his presence. Don't fall for the lie that the praise of others is greater than God's presence. We fall for it every day. Don't fall for it. Now, I'm not saying that when you fast that magically you will experience the presence of God. What I'm saying is that fasting has a way of concentrating your soul on the one that it longs for most, God. And when you concentrate your soul on Him and seek Him with a pure heart, you will find Him. But, See, because some of you right now are struggling to actually believe that God's presence is the greatest longing of your soul. And you won't ever believe it until you see how important it is for Jesus that you get to experience the presence of God. Jesus does everything, everything that is required for you to be able to come into the presence of God. He suffers the greatest suffering that there has ever been or ever will be so that you can experience the presence of God. So, Jesus, who had been with his Father for all of eternity on the cross, is cut off and he hungers And he cries out for his father, and he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The deep hungering of the soul, not being with his father, and he hears nothing. So that when you hunger for God, he comes running. 
He hungers so that one day you will be satisfied. And then, in His resurrection, He breaks through death and this world so that now He can usher in His kingdom even now. And it's beginning to come. And it's in this room, and it's moving around in such a way that we can't see it, yet it is here. He is your only hope. Your o- he is your only hope to experience the satisfaction of your cravings. And every other religion, check them out, when every other religion that fasts will tell you fast in order to get to God, fast in order to get the good life. And Jesus comes on the scene and he says, no, I have come for you. You do not fast to get to me. I have come for you. And I am bringing my kingdom in this world, now even. So he says fast like this. Think of fasting this way. Fasting is you setting the dinner table. Fasting is you getting the plates right and the knives right and the forks right and the spoons and all the dessert plates are out and you're just setting this beautiful, elaborate table yet you aren't eating anything. And you're doing it because it's stirring up in you the craving for the world that is to come. And so it sets your mind and it sets your heart and it sets your soul upon the eternal feast that you will have with God. And so when you fast, not if you fast, But when you fast, right before you're about to break it, and you're about to eat a delicious meal, you make sure to set the table. And as you're setting the table, set your soul's imagination upon the day that you will walk up to the eternal meal and sit down at this eternal banquet with Christ, your king, who is your groom. And you will sit down and you will feast with him, the feast that will never end, where your soul finally reaches the place where it has received everything that it longs for. So fast. To express that longing and do it in secret so God will reward you And so that your heart will be set upon the eternal meal. So much so that now even you begin to focus in on that meal that it begins to even inhabit today. That's what fasting is about.